Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers. To get full access, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M Plus. That's M P L U S, or follow the link in the episode description. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And on the show today, a famous woman has been photographed eating alone. Cue the tiny violins. And a new makeup campaign claims lipstick makes everything better. And Mia is confused. But first... Passionate. Fearless. A politician with a purpose. Will we shirk the decisions that face us or will we once again rise to the moment and choose what is hard, what is complex, what is right? Today, a prominent Australian woman is being laid to rest at a funeral filled with her loved ones and peers. Labor Senator Kimberly Kitching died suddenly of a heart attack on March the 10th and she was aged just 52. It's a terrible, unfathomable loss for all of her loved ones. It's also a death that has been swiftly politicised. As almost immediately after her passing, stories began to circulate that Kitching had been the subject of bullying at work. Her workplace being the Australian Senate and the colleagues mentioned in this bullying being some of the most high-profile Labour politicians in the country, Penny Wong, Christina Keneally and Katie Gallagher. Now, this is a difficult conversation to have, particularly today, really, Some columnists have sensationally drawn a straight line between Kitching's complaints about the women that she termed mean girls and her death. That is obviously completely unfounded and outrageous thing to say. But what is true is that her death has put a spotlight on workplace culture in the Labour Party and one that is very unwelcome at the moment, given that in all of this conversation about the culture at Parliament House that's been playing out in lots of high-profile ways over the past year, the spotlight has much more been on the coalition. The Labour Party are currently leading in the polls ahead of the imminent election, and so this story is one that they desperately want to avoid but that the coalition are quite keen to explore. Now, we're not going to get into all the ins and outs of what's been said here. Some of it is subject to legal claims, and obviously Senator Kitching is not able to speak her truth, her version of events, any longer. But the allegations that have been levelled at the senators include that they regularly excluded Kitching from meetings, something that she felt was an ostracisation. And it's also been very widely reported that Penny Wong said to Kitching the following during a heated exchange about climate policy. If you had children, you might understand why there is a climate emergency. 
So Wong, Keneally and Gallagher have issued a joint statement addressing this. Anthony Albanese has been talking about it and saying that he stands by his leaders. The Prime Minister and Peter Dutton have both suggested that there should be an inquiry. And while a lot of this is kind of she said, she said, there is no question that it is a real issue. This is Penny Wong talking yesterday about that comment, the if you had children comment. What I said was insensitive. And I regret it. Uh, and uh, I apologised as I should um, when I became aware that she, um, how she felt about After it. After it became public. Because she that never, you had said it. Because she never raised it with me. Now, there are two things I want to discuss around this story. The first is the idea of whether we find this idea of aggressive workplace culture harder to swallow when it is allegedly coming from women. And the second is something that the journalist Samantha Maiden said about it on ABC's Insiders yesterday. Now, she has interviewed Kitching at length. She knew her quite well. She's interviewed her for a book that Maiden is writing about Parliament's workplace culture. She says that Kitching spoke at length about the mean girls issue or what she was calling the mean girls issue. And she said that there was an in crowd within the senior label women and Kitching felt she wasn't in it. And that is a very familiar feeling in many workplaces. And as Maiden said on Insiders yesterday, she said, if you're in the in crowd, you don't see that it exists. But if you're outside it, it's devastatingly obvious. Is that very relatable, understandable? And what are we making of all this? Mia. I think what is also worth pointing out that this idea of being in an in crowd does make it sound a lot like high school and who's cool and who are the populars. But the truth is that certainly within the Labor Party, the Labor Party has two distinct factions, the left faction of which Anthony Albanese is the head and the right faction. Whichever of those factions has their leader as the leader of the whole party, used to be shortened, now it's Albanese, the people who are in that faction obviously have more influence and power. So if Bill Shorten had been the leader, if he'd have won the election, as it was remarked on by, by a lot of journalists and commentators, Kimberly Kitching would have been straight into cabinet and would have had a lot of power. So not only was she in opposition, but she was in the weaker faction. All of this is to say, I think that what riled me at first was the use of the term mean girls, because as Anthony Albanese pointed out, we wouldn't say mean boys. No one talks about mean boys. But where I came to ultimately, apart from the tragic death of Kimberly Kitching, is this is politics. Like, this is politics. And there's nothing that I've heard in all the accusations or reporting that doesn't sound like stuff that happens all the time in politics. And I think it's a big reason, not to excuse it, I'm saying this is a big reason why I think a lot of people are probably put off by going into politics. We're thrown into a moral panic when it's women who do it because women are meant to be really nice to each other. For Scott Morrison or anyone to suggest that there ought to be an inquiry into the behaviour of Labor women is one of the most hypocritical, ludicrous things I have ever heard given the behaviour within the Liberal Party, the names that were used against Brittany Higgins, like... The thing is, and we've been told this a million times and it's a lesson that we're struggling to learn, that this isn't about Labor or Liberal and it's not about men or women. It's about a toxic culture. And just because you're a woman doesn't mean that you're immune from that culture. To talk to each other like that, we can shrug our shoulders and say it's politics, 
but it's inexcusable. It is but just what's not- inexcusable? To talk to each other like what? Like there's nothing that I've heard of that sounds shocking. What I heard around Brittany Higgins was shocking. There's nothing about this that I've found shocking. If I was in a workplace and I had an opinion on something and someone brought up the fact I didn't have kids, I would find that extremely personal, rude, unhelpful, and it's gendered. It's incredibly gendered. You don't say it to men. You say it to women of a certain age who don't have kids yet. That was a crappy thing for Penny Wong to say. But what I will say is that Penny Wong apologised. That's more than I have heard from any politician in a very long time. For her to say that was the wrong thing to say and I shouldn't have said it, I mean, that shows a little bit of progress. But I do think it's a spotlight on a toxic workplace. What makes me so uncomfortable and is really riled me up this weekend is watching how it's been politicised and how we've lost the fact that a 52-year-old woman died and her funeral is today. And we've got The Australian, we've got Peter Credlin, we have people in the media drawing a direct link between bullying and death. That is a ridiculous thing to say. It is not something that I don't think even her family are suggesting, but this was part of her life. So I can see why it's on the table and I can see why Samantha Maiden thinks that it's relevant. I do think it just speaks to a larger culture. And so the mean girls really doesn't do the bigger discussion justice. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more that it's ridiculous to draw a line between these. And I've seen some really offensive rhetoric around it that I don't want to repeat here because it doesn't bear repeating about the effect that this had on her. But then also, from a lot of the reports I'm reading, it sounds like people who were very close to Kitchen are very angry about it. They're very angry about it, about the way she was treated, and then about the way that that was handled. And so I think it's also very natural that you know, you've got this push-pull of should it be discussed or not? And, you know, it's election time. Everything is heightened. And I don't think anybody should get a free pass because of that. I think it's really interesting what you said about how we feel differently about women behaving this way. And when I say this way, I just mean in an aggressive manner, in a competitive, aggressive manner, which is, of course, the way you behave I wouldn't even say that it's aggressive. I would take exception, Jesse, with you describing it as a toxic culture. Like it might well be a toxic culture, but I don't think someone making an insensitive comment about the fact someone didn't have kids is indicative of a toxic culture. I'm not defending that remark, but like everyone said something insensitive sometimes. How about being excluded from meetings though? And I'm not willing to dismiss if Kimberly Kitching said that she was being bullied and it was a toxic culture, then I'm inclined to lean into that. And I think that as Holly said about the in and the out crowd, it's funny that we think that's something that happens in high school. It doesn't. It happens until the day you die. And I think that it is a feature of many workplaces, probably worse in politics, and that you don't know you're in the in crowd until someone taps you on the shoulder and says, here's how you're making people Feel. I don't accept that politics has to be this mean. I very much agree with you because every organization has a center of power, right? And a circle of power and a group of managers or a group of bosses or whatever it is who are making the decisions. And breaking into that circle is hard. And it's also the thing of work. If you're an ambitious person who wants to impact decisions, that is not in itself 
bullying, like having a group of people who are making the decisions and being someone on the outside who wants to get in and finding that difficult is not in itself bullying. What's bullying is the way that it's carried out, the way you're spoken to, the reasons for it and all those things. And I'm not in any way speculating about the validity of Kitching's allegations. I'm with you, Jesse. I'm tending to lean into them. I think what's challenging for me, and I know a lot of people who are reading this story find this challenging too, is I kind of idolize Penny Wong. You know what I mean? Like I really do. And so mm. do a lot of women and I'm sure a lot of outlouders and other female politicians of that stature. And I guess in my mind, she is a lovely person. You know, she is a lovely person yeah. who behaves in lovely ways and I've got her face on a tea towel and, you know, like I just, I think there's a certain element of that. But Don't you think Penny that's Wong a trap is, for women though? Exactly. And that's what yeah. I'm going to get to is that that is a problem. The way that I view her and so therefore my disappointment at hearing that she as a mothered Kimberly Kitching, which is what she did, is uncomfortable for me to feel because just like Jacinda Ardern, just like some other figures, in my mind, Penny wouldn't do that, you know. But Penny Wong, just like Kimberly Kitching, is an incredibly smart, incredibly experienced political operator who has survived in a very aggressive environment for a long time and knows exactly how to do it. And I read this piece by Catherine Murphy in The Guardian that I thought was really interesting mm. about this about kitching because when we talk about bullying of any kind, it's very tempting to see the victim, in inverted commas, as a genuine victim, as somebody very soft and malleable who can't stand up for themselves and to see the bullies as this kind of like literally stealing someone's lunch money and pulling their hair. And what Catherine Murphy was saying, she said, Kitching, in my observation, was formidable. It's why she was widely respected. She was highly intelligent, charming, and shrewd. She was a power player in every sense of the word, an experienced factional operator and a consummate networker, entirely fluent in the blood sport of Victorian labor politics. To imply otherwise is a disservice to the truth, and it robs her of agency and reduces a talent and complex woman to the role of an untethered ghost in a history war. And I think that is so true is it's like I mean we talk about this all the time human beings are complex two things can be true at once ideologies can clash and this story is worth talking about because there's no question that Canberra should be a safe place to work for everybody but also let's not paint people as either weak little victims or bullying mean girls and not acknowledge that there's actually a lot of crossover in those groups too. Oh, hey, my name's Colleen. So I just started listening to the latest episode and yelled out to my 15-year-old daughter, hey, wheels or doors? And she just responded, I'm not getting into that. <laughs> Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Something big happened over the weekend. There's a lot of big news stories, but this was arguably the biggest, the most shocking, the most confronting, the most sad and the most newsworthy. A woman named Lisa Wilkinson, she attended a restaurant alone and she ordered a drink, but also a meal. Wait, a meal and a drink? Yes, yes. By herself? 
by herself. She was accompanied by an iPad, which she had on a stand. This story has How did blown I miss up. this? I know, I know. I can't believe you missed it. Yeah, sometimes on the weekend I don't read the news because I need a break from just the anxiety of it and the distress of and news then you stories miss something like this. So world chattering as this. You couldn't take this on. I understand. I understand. But I took it on for us. Basically, the Daily Mail ran with the headline: Lisa Wilkinson sips on margarita as she dines alone in Melbourne. And my favourite part of the article was the opening sentence, which said, Lisa Wilkinson cut a lonely figure when she dined out. There are some critical details that I think we should put on the record for everyone. Lisa's iPad was propped up on a stand, as I mentioned. She ate and drank at the restaurant, both things. She bit down on her thumb at one point as she looked at her iPad. There was a white napkin on her lap. She was wearing glasses but also pants. Well, that's a relief. Yeah, I know. When I learned she was wearing pants, I just went, oh, lucky she didn't dine in in no pants that day. Her hair was in loose curls, which you can tell from the pictures, but it's good when they describe the pictures because sometimes, you know, you just don't know for sure. And she paid with her wallet and she walked out with her. She paid. (laughs) So in order to get these details, these critical details about Wilkinson's I wonder if she was wearing shoes. Did they mention that? Nice black slip-ons. Lisa Wilkinson posted on Instagram and Twitter, I believe, that um, she was watched by a man that she described as quite menacing and then didn't feel comfortable leaving the restaurant for an hour or so because she felt stalked. There was a man keeping a close eye on her. And apart from this being absolute gutter journalism and an invasion of a woman's privacy, The pictures themselves have backfired because Wilkinson enjoying a margarita alone in a restaurant is one of the most aspirational images any woman anywhere has ever seen. We don't see anyone lonely. We just yell, how do I get a margarita on my own in a restaurant? (laughs) With my iPad. It's my dream. With goals. That is just goals. Holly, you used to work in magazines What was the point of these images? What story were these images trying to tell us? The clue is in the the first line, that she cut a lonely figure. That is the story that was wanting to be told there. So what... The way things work in this world, I have a little experience, although it is a long time ago now, I'm very happy to say, is that those images would come through, usually from a picture agency. They'd say, hey, we've got some hot things you might want to buy. And they include... Lisa Wilkinson dining alone in a restaurant and drinking a margarita. And if you purchase those images, and they don't cost very much anymore, I mean, some images will go for a lot of money. These probably wouldn't have done because even at the Daily Mail, this isn't really the biggest story of the moment. How it much would they be? Like around how much would they be? To be really honest, these days, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, they'd be in the thousands of dollars, a low ball. Because Lisa's an A-lister. Yeah, Lisa's an yeah. A-lister. But, you know, she's not kissing someone who isn't her husband or, you know, she's not wearing a bikini. Like those two things would definitely <laughs> jack the price up even further than a solo margarita. But then the way that it works is that the journalist in question writes around it. Writing around pictures basically means write whatever you want to fit these pictures. But the angle they were trying to go for is that Carrie's leaving the project for a while. As we discussed last week, she's going off to live her best life, probably featuring some margaritas in London. And they're trying to suggest that Lisa is unsettled by this turn of events and and all alone. And they would have just made the rest of it up. 
There are so many things wrong with this, but one of them is that I, because I've worked in this job for a long time, not at Mamma Mia, but in this industry, the writer who has to do this then has to find 500 words out of those photos. Hence the level of detail you've got there about like napkins and shoes and, you know, like dabbing this and touching that. Is that how do you stretch an article that far to be able to include all the pictures when literally nothing was happened? But the message that was obviously being portrayed here is people think women dining alone are sad. Let's make sure we lean into that. The reaction they would want to get from the audience is like, oh, look at Lisa Wilkinson having a drink on her own. Like, oh, isn't that a bit sad? Things must be a bit wrong. And like, do you think anyone thought as you that? Pointed out, Jesse. Absolutely, everybody did not think that. Every, including myself. I was just like, yes. Please, God. (laughs) This is where I just get so angry because not only do these appalling sites objectify women's bodies, because usually it's about, you know, flaunting her pins, they objectify women's behaviour. As you say, like a woman sitting alone having dinner, minding her own business, suddenly there's a narrative around that. And because I've worked in the media for 30 years, I have a lot of girlfriends who are followed by paparazzi. And I bumped into one of them when I was staying at a hotel and I went down for breakfast and she was there as well. She'd been staying at the same hotel and I didn't realise. And it was early in the morning and she was in full hair and makeup, like lashes, everything. And she'd been on TV the night before. And I was like, what do you do? Like, why, why are you, why have you got your full hair and makeup on? Did you not have any cleanser with you last night, doll? And she was like, the paparazzi are following me. I'm about to have to put my mum into a home and I've been on the phone to my brothers and I've been crying and they've been trying to get photos of me crying to make up some narrative about my career or my personal life. So she was like, I don't want to let them win. Like I, I just need this for armour. And I just thought, oh. And I have other friends whose children are absolutely traumatised because men hide behind trees and follow them to school. And the mum's pushing the pram and got the toddler walking along and there's a, a man in a car or a man, you know, walking backwards in front of them. The irony is if they weren't selling that photo, that would be called stalking. Like you can't just do that. And what makes it worse now is that, you know, Lisa wrote on Instagram that there was someone menacing outside, you know, looking through the window. It might not have even been a paparazzi. It could have just been anyone with a phone taking a photo of a celebrity and then trying to sell it. Mm. Even if they weren't trying to sell it, because I've seen this as a bit of a trend on social of just kind of like was out today and saw not this, but say Hamish Blake or whatever, and someone will snap Mm. a picture of them in a restaurant. And I think they still deserve a bit of privacy, don't they? Like you would notice that people are taking photos of you or staring at you, which would kind of be enough. But when everyone has an iPhone, it's like no moment is your own. Every moment you're on show. The other little subtext in here is that pictures of women eating are always very desirable by the tabloids. Think about what that means in itself, right? Is that basically, and a lot of women I know hate having their picture taken when they're eating, don't they? You know, if they're at a wedding or something, they'll be like, Mm. don't take a picture while I'm about to put this in my mouth. It's not very flattering, is it? It, Well, it's not very flattering, but also we over-index on how important it is what women are eating. So there would be lots of people who would disapprove of this photo, but they would still be looking at Lisa's plate and they'd be going, what is she eating? And it feeds our obsession with it, but also 
there's something very human and vulnerable about being photographed eating that is particularly potent in the tabloids. Is there like, I remember really famously many years ago, Catherine Zeta-Jones, I think, I may mangle this story, but I'm pretty clear on it, sued Hello Magazine or one of the magazines that had her wedding pictures because they included a picture of her putting a forkful of food into her mouth at her own wedding. It was like, I never would agree to be photographed eating. So think about that. That also dials Mm. the price tag up. The problem with women is that it strips them of their dignity, you know, and I've got no skin in this game. I'm D-list. I'm not ever followed by paparazzi, but it strips them of their dignity. It's about flaunting their pins or being sad and alone in a restaurant or mocking their bodies. It is just another reason why Mamma Mia doesn't support the paparazzi economy. It is the reason actually. And if you hate this and, and think it's disgusting, support women's media, support women's media companies and don't click on these stories. brand called Mally Beauty, which I hadn't heard about until this week, but now I have because they've launched a new ad campaign with the slogan, life is better with makeup. There's an accompanying ad, which the company says aims to inspire women to add more glamour to their daily routines, even in unexpected places like the gym, giving birth or completing daily household chores. Here's a little bit of the ad. Look at you. You're a boss. Badass. Queen. Sure, life isn't always beautiful. It can be challenging, stressful, and messy. But you, honey, you can handle whatever life throws your way. And you do it all while looking freaking fabulous. Life is better in makeup. Love, Mally. We'll post this in the Mamma Mia Out Louders Facebook group so you can see this ad in all its glory. It shows women doing sort of everyday tasks like getting stuck in traffic and also not so everyday tasks like, you know, giving birth. And they're all in various versions of very glam sort of Kardashian-esque makeup. And the founder of this brand, Mally Ronkal, she's actually a makeup artist who has worked with JLo and Beyonce and she told Allure magazine about the campaign, I always wanted to give men and women permission to live their fierceness. I'm not saying, oh, you have to wear makeup every day. It's a choice. It's like choosing joy. It's like choosing fun. <laughs> choosing insecurity. If you follow me on Instagram, you see that many, many days I have my glasses on, my hair is up, I have no makeup on and we're running around the house screaming and I'm cooking. I feel as comfortable in that skin as I do in a full beat. But the idea is just being unapologetic about how you want to live. So here's what I find interesting about this. You know, for many years, until quite recently actually, wearing makeup was the default. Women were expected to wear makeup to work, you know, all the time. And not wearing makeup was seen as an act of sort of feminist rebellion and being a bit disruptive. And of course, there are still industries like the airlines that insist on its front-facing female workers wearing makeup as a condition of their employment. But I feel like now we're being told that wearing makeup while you give birth or unstack the dishwasher is somehow an act of feminist rebellion. I feel a little confused and manipulated. Jessie, do you feel confused and manipulated? We feel confused and manipulated because we're being manipulated by people who are trying to make us feel confused. That's because 
Makeup absolutely can bring joy. I have had a lot of joy from makeup and from applying it and from playing with it over my life. Makeup is also labor. We don't consider that enough and it is an incredibly gendered form of labor because when the expectation is that if you work in a certain job or, you know, depending on your age and your circle and and what you do for a living, makeup is something that is expected of you every day. And when women accept that, you've got two choices. You can either resent it every single day or you can lean into it and go, I'm going to try and enjoy this. And I think that most women probably attempt to do the latter because they're like, well, what's the point in just in resenting it? And so, you know, you go on TikTok and Instagram and you get quite, I get excited about all the videos I watch about how to do my makeup better and quicker and all of that. But the choice to put makeup on my face for the first time wasn't my choice and it certainly wasn't a choice made in a vacuum. It was an expectation because I felt really ugly (laughs) and I think that's what this is missing. And I feel conflicted because I don't think any of those tasks are better or more joyful with makeup on. I don't think giving birth (laughs) is any less horrific because of the mascara you have on or like, what eyeshadow did you choose to wear to the delivery room so you felt empowered? Like it's still going to bloody hurt. And I love that the daily activities that they chose were like giving birth, scrubbing the floor. There's a woman with like a um, scrubber and she's got heels on and a gold sequin dress scrubbing the floor. I'm like, why don't you have a mop? Jesse, because she chose fun and joy. She chose joy. I think as well, I've been thinking this week a bit about something you said a while ago, Mia, which is that when you feel like shit or when something has happened to you that makes you feel changed, you start projecting that externally as best you can. So, for example, I I remember you talked about it in relation to a miscarriage and you said you stopped wearing colour and you stopped wearing makeup because you wanted to say to the world, I'm not okay and I don't feel like I'm being authentic by showing up to work looking like I did before because I'm not the same person. I really, really feel that. I think that just in the last, you know, couple of weeks and a lot of people who have been in and out of hospital will know how much that screws with your sense of self-care and identity around appearance because you can't even have a bloody shower when you want to or wash your hair or whatever. But then I'm going to contradict myself because the other day I was going to the physio and on the way, as I was leaving the house, I said, Luca, grab my makeup bag. And he was like, why? And I was like, don't ask. <laughs> it's very hard for me to explain why I need yes. my makeup in order to step foot inside a physio today. I just do. And it is conditioning and it is problematic, but give me my mascara. A lot of this ad is tongue in cheek. You can tell it's tongue in cheek. Is right? it? But the, Americans yeah, it aren't very is. good the at tongue in cheek, Hole. I think you might be giving no, them too much the credit. the styling and everything, it's very tongue in cheek. But the tagline, life is better with makeup is the tricky part because life is better with makeup when you want it. The flip side to what you're talking about, Jesse, about wanting your outsides to match your insides is true, but sometimes you really don't want your outsides to match your insides. You need to cover that Mm. shit up. I don't know how many times that all the women I know who are packing on the concealer because they haven't slept all night Mm. because they've got a baby or because they've been crying over something or looking after a sick relative or whatever, you're like, makeup, help me. And the flip side is... People sometimes say this, although it's so gaslighty. It's like women are lucky because they can hide it. Like, you know, they can do that, whereas men can't, in inverted commas. But we also expect it to do a lot of heavy lifting. I've realized lately 
the one piece of makeup that I cannot go without is mascara. Like everything is okay in my life if there's mascara on. And every morning I walk the dog without my mascara. And if we bump into somebody and it's like 6 a.m., we bump into someone, I'll say to Brent, oh no, I didn't have my mascara on. And I can see him looking at me and being like, mate, you're really expecting that mascara <laughs> to do a lot of heavy lifting. That is the least of what's going on here on your 50-year-old face at 6 a.m. when you haven't been sleeping because of Perry. So I think it leans into a truth that we can feel better with makeup on, but for all the reasons you've so eloquently explained, Jesse, it's massively problematic that we do. I have a recommendation before we go that I watched on the weekend. I think you did too, Mia. The first two episodes of a new show that's on Apple TV Plus called We Crashed. Now, I came to this a bit blind. It's a drama about WeWork. Oh, this is meant to be so interesting. Yes. So WeWork is the tech startup company that revolutionized the workplace. Um, this is the problem. It wasn't a tech startup company. It was just shared office space. Yeah, it's but true. But convinced true. everyone that it was a tech startup company. It was worth like tens of billions of dollars. Yeah. So it was the, a charismatic guy, launches a business, convinces everyone it's an amazing startup, invest in it. But all it really was was shared office space. Is Adam for real? I wouldn't be with him if he wasn't. The wife, she works there. She helps him manifest things. We are on track to lose 400 million this year. I think this. Enough, Adam! Or I feel trapped. You have to make them see. See what? You're super nervous. We were very famous. Anyway, crashed. I'm not really across this. Were you not across this? I know it, like vaguely, like I've read headlines, but I've never delved into it. And so I was excited. I was like, why should I watch this? And then I saw Jared Leto plays Adam Newman, who's the guy. Anne Hathaway plays his wife. And a kicker for me used to be a Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow's cousin. And they were this intensely charismatic couple who basically it's one of those, they fooled the world stories, or at least that's how it seems (laughs) to be. And it is great. I thought it was great. It entertained me no end. It's that kind of whole shtick of He's the kind of business leader who has somebody who lights his bong for him first thing in the morning and can talk somebody just with a bit of tap dancing and a few um, sparkly words can talk people into the Yeah, he's like a guru. Million dollars, yep. And she is his pump-up machine and so she's always saying to him, you're a supernova. supernova. You can do anything, manifest it. It's all that kind of stuff. Anyway, enormously fun. I am going to watch every single one of them. Jared Leto, he's one of those actors that I don't feel like I really know what he looks like because he always looks different. Anne Hathaway, I love her. I don't care what people say. She has a very sexy voice in this. She's dropped it a register and she's very like this. It's great. It's entertaining. It's on Apple TV. We crashed. That is all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie and the executive producer is Liza Ratliff. And look, if you're looking for something new to listen to and you might want something a little bit saucy, saucy could be a word for it, Sealed Section is a Mamma Mia podcast hosted by sexologist Chantelle Otten, all about sexuality and pleasure. And on today's episode, she answers a question from someone who wants advice on how to get back in bed after giving birth. Here's a little taste of what she says. It can take a little bit of time. So first and foremost, there's no pressure to get straight back into the sack once you've had a child. 
within four to six weeks postpartum, we have our hormones, estrogen and progesterone. These levels of hormones actually plummet, which lead to a decrease in sexual desire and natural lubrication. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Nobody, 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 nobody speaks to me like Mamma Mia.